Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 218, The Russian Anarchists, Part 2. Last time, we defined what anarchism is, and we focused on the two most important Russian anarchists, Mikhail Bokunin and Peter Kropotkin. Today, we focus on a bigger group of lesser-known but important anarchists, as well as groups who lived the lifestyle. We will also talk about more modern-day anarchists who can also be deemed to be anti-globalists. As I alluded to in last episode, anarchism was an important movement in 19th century Russia. Many who joined the movement were fed up with the Romanovs and their overly suppressive regime, especially under the reactionary czar Alexander III. This was common ground between the anarchists and the Bolsheviks. What was different was that the anarchists believed that all forms of government was repressive and could not be trusted to care for all people. The Bolsheviks believed that the czarist regime was the bad guy and that they could change things once they came to power. The anarchists turned out, in the long run, to be right. We begin our discussion today with the most famous anarchist of all, Leo Tolstoy. Born in 1828, his version of anarchism, Christian anarchism, was the most nonviolent of all the forms of this political belief system. It is a Christian movement in political theology that claims anarchism is inherent in Christianity and the Gospels. They believe that the Sermon on the Mount is the cornerstone of its anarchist views. It is grounded in the belief that there is only one source of authority to which Christians are ultimately answerable, the authority of God as embodied in the teachings of Jesus. It therefore rejects the idea that human governments have ultimate authority over human societies. Christian anarchists denounce the state, believing it is violent, deceitful, and, when glorified, idolatrous. The Kingdom of God is Within You, written by Tolstoy, is often regarded as a key text for modern Christian anarchism. The book lays out a plan of society that is based on an interpretation of Christianity focusing on universal love. It also espouses the idea of nonviolent resistance, something that Mahatma Gandhi used in his resistance to British rule. Gandhi claimed that this book, as well as John Ruskin's Unto This Last, and the poet Shrimrod Raj Chandra as the three most important modern influences in his life. His work inspired a group known as the Tolstoyans, who, like him, were totally against all governmental interference, as well as being opposed to organized religion. Tolstoy himself was excommunicated by the Russian Orthodox Church because of his anarchist beliefs. The Tolstoyans, along with Leo, had five main tenets. They were, love your enemies, do not be angry, do not fight evil with evil, but return evil with good, which is kind of their interpretation of turning the other cheek, do not lust, and do not take oaths. To sum up Leo Tolstoy's influence on the world, we turn to the author of the book, Tolstoy and the Russians, Alexander Fodor, when he wrote, quote, We know that Tolstoy's pacifism, 
his advocacy of passive resistance to evil through nonviolent means, has had incalculable influence on pacifist movements in general and on the philosophical and social views and programs of Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Cesar Chavez. Our next Russian anarchist is Alexei Borovoy, born on October 30th, 1875, in Moscow, to a well-to-do military family. Alexei would be drawn to radicalism early on in life. He was a very well-educated man whose family had served in the Russian military, but that was not the life that Alexei wanted for himself. He would lean toward Marxism early on in his life, but became disenchanted with it while on a business trip to Paris in 1904. As Alexei put it, quote, No one taught anarchism to me, didn't persuade me, didn't infect me. Suddenly, out of some unknown depths, a great, well-formed, enlightening, united thought was born in me. With unusual clarity, with victorious cogency, a feeling of an attitude that was new to me, was born in me. I stood up from the bench in the Luxembourg Garden as an enlightened, passionate, uncompromising anarchist, and I still remain one. He would return to Russia in 1905 and would lecture throughout the country on the benefits of anarchism. Borovoy would clash with other anarchists in Europe because of his steadfast belief in individualistic anarchism. It is a political belief that the individual's right to do as they please without concern about others. Because of his radicalism, he rightfully feared being arrested and sent to Siberia. Instead, Alexei decided to head back to France in 1910, only returning in early 1917. In the spring of 1918, Borovoy founded the Union of Ideological Propaganda of Anarchism, and its printed organ, daily newspaper, Jin or Life. This would garner the anger of the Bolsheviks, which quickly shut it down. In 1922, Alexei was stripped of his position as a professor in the local university. In 1929, he was arrested by the OGPU and sentenced to three years in prison in Vyatka, now known as Kirov. He would fully serve his sentence would spend the rest of his life in exile in Vladimir until his death on November 30th, 1935. Next up is Lev Chernyi, born Pavel Dmitrievich Cherchaninov. He was another whose family served in the military. Lev, like Borovoy, held a strong belief in individualist anarchism. Chernyi would publish a book entitled Associational Anarchism in 1907. Unlike Alexei, he was unable to avoid serving significant time in czarist prisons because of his writing. Cherny advocated the, quote, free association of independent individuals. Scholars like my old professor Paul Average have interpreted this vision of society to have been greatly influenced by the individualist anarchists Max Stirner and Benjamin Tucker. Freed from his Siberian exile in 1917, Chernier would become a favorite lecturer amongst Moscow factory workers. 
He would have serious disagreements with the Bolsheviks, something that would come back to haunt him. On September 25, 1919, together with a number of leftist social revolutionaries, the underground anarchists, a group Chernia would join earlier, bombarded the headquarters of the Moscow Committee of the Communist Party during a meeting. Twelve communists were killed and 55 others were wounded, including the famous Bolshevik theorist and Pravda editor Nikolai Bukharin. Chernyay would be arrested in 1921 and would be executed without a trial for his part in the bombing. Due to the refusal of the Bolsheviks to return his body to his family for burial, many believe it would have shown that he had been horribly tortured before being shot. Our fourth anarchist is one of the most famous, especially in the United States, and that would be Emma Goldman. Born on June 28, 1869 in Kaunas, Russian Empire, now Lithuania, her, fa- her and her family would move to the United States in 1885. They would do so to get away from the anti-Jewish pogroms, which were promoted by the Tsarist regime. Emma's introduction to anarchism happened in response to something known as the Haymarket Affair, also known as the Haymarket Massacre or the Haymarket Square Riot. It was the aftermath of a bombing that took place at a labor demonstration on May 4, 1886, where workers were protesting in favor of eight-hour workdays. Someone in the crowd threw a stick of dynamite at a number of police officers, killing seven of them including four bystanders, injuring dozens more. My professor, Dr. Average, wrote a book published in 1986 entitled The Haymarket Tragedy. The event would be the inspiration for the International Workers' Day held annually on May 1st, a national holiday in many countries around the world. Goldman would use it as inspiration for her writing in favor of anarchism, women's rights, and many other social issues. Emma would tour the country, sometimes drawing thousands of people to her lectures. Of course, this would draw the ire of officials. But it was her involvement in, along with her lover and lifelong friend and anarchist writer, Alexander Berkman, and their plan to assassinate industrialist and financier Henry Clay Frick as retribution for the Haymarket tragedy. Berkman was arrested and sentenced to 22 years in prison. Goldman would be arrested numerous times for inciting riots and illegally distributing information about birth control. In response, Goldman would found the anarchist journal Mother Earth in 1906. It would continue to publish anarchist works until 1917. In 1918, Berkman and Goldman would be arrested yet again because of something known as the Palmer Raids during the first Red Scare. The two would be deported back to Russia in 1920. Emma, who at first was highly supportive of the Bolsheviks, quickly became disillusioned following the Kronstadt Rebellion of 1921. Goldman would publish a book about her experiences called My Disillusionment, in Russia in 1923. Emma would write an autobiography called Living My Life, which was published in two volumes, in 1931 and 1935, from her new home in Canada. At the onset of the Spanish Civil War in 1936, 
Goldman would head over to Spain to support the anarchist side. She would return to Toronto soon after that, passing away at the age of 70 on May 14, 1940. Emma Goldman's writing's influence carries on to this very day. The Dokobors are an interesting group whose origins are shrouded in mystery. Their name literally means spirit warriors or spirit wrestlers. They're a spiritual Christian religious group who rejects the Russian Orthodox priesthood, the use of icons, and all associated church rituals. We first hear of them in 17th and 18th century Russia. They rejected all sorts of government and church rules and regulations. As pacifists, they were also against militarism and war, refusing to serve in the Russian army. This brought them into numerous clashes with authorities. Tsar Alexander I tried to accommodate the Dokobors, but his successor, Tsar Nicholas I, reversed course and tried to force assimilation of the sect. He ordered their able-bodied men to be conscripted into the military, which, of course, they refused. They would be thrown off their lands and sent to the newly captured land in Transcaucasia, especially Georgia. Even that wasn't enough for the Tsarist regime, which eventually led their immigration to Canada. In 1897, the Russian government agreed to let the Dokobors leave the country, subject to a number of conditions. The immigrants should never return. They had to emigrate at their own expense. And community leaders currently in prison or in exile in Siberia would have to serve the balance of their sentences before they could leave. Their stay in Canada was a dicey one as the local people distrusted their new, strange neighbors. Today, there are about 60,000 Dokobors in the world, with half being in Canada and the other half residing mainly in South Georgia. The next group we will talk about are the Chernoy Zenamia, or Black Flag. They were a Russian anarchist communist organization founded in 1903. This group is on the polar opposite spectrum of the anarchism from the Dokobors. They were, as Dr. Average would write, were driven by, quote, reckless fanaticism and uninterrupted violence. To understand their violent nature, one only has to read a declaration they used in a trial in Odessa. Quote, We recognize isolated expropriations only to acquire money for our revolutionary deeds. If we get the money, we do not kill the person we are expropriating. But this does not mean that he, the property owner, has bought us off. No, we will find him in the various cafes, restaurants, theaters, balls, concerts, and the like. Death to the bourgeoisie. Always, wherever he may be, he will be overtaken by an anarchist's bomb or bullet. Now to wrap things up about Russian anarchists, we move into the late 20th and early 21st century. We start with Azat Fanasovich Miftikov, a Tatar-Russian self-proclaimed anarchist who was born in 1993 in Nizhnikamsk in the Republic of Tatarstan, Russia. 
a mathematician by education, he was arrested on February 1st, 2019 for allegedly building a bomb a year earlier. The case was so flimsy that prosecutors had to throw it out for the lack of evidence. Um, Since this was an unpopular decision by the powers that be, after he was released on February 7th, he was rearrested that very same day. Miftikov was arrested after a quote-unquote secret witness under the pseudonym of Petrov came forward and claimed that he saw the graduate student near the United Russian office where a smoke bomb had been thrown through the window on January 31st, 2018. The current government under Putin does not tolerate anarchist thought or speech. That is why, despite Petrov having died in 2020, Miftikov was convicted of a very Russian crime, hooliganism, on January 18th, 2021, and sentenced to six years in a penal colony. And let me tell you, a penal colony in Russia is really really a bad place to be. Uh, He is probably being treated very poorly in this prison. His fate, though, was better than that of Anastasia Babarova. She would become an opponent of the neo-Nazi movement in Russia after this incident she wrote about in her diary. And let me tell you, there is a very large neo-Nazi movement in Russia. I mean, it's not a you know majority of people or anything. It's a very strong little one. So it makes it so ironic and hypocritical of Putin to say he's attacking Ukraine to get rid of Nazi influences when in his very own country they're being supported. So it, it's very hypocritical. Uh, quote, It is difficult to look in the eyes of a Korean student who has only just been struck in the temple by two juvenile thugs. They waved Zig Heil towards the tram and ran off. She would become a journalist with Isvestia and Novaya Gazeta. The day after attending at the Anarcho-Communist Unity event known as Autonomous Action, Anastasia was assassinated by what the government claimed were neo-Nazis. Of course, now they were bad people. They kind of support it, but now they're bad because they killed someone. Well, according to Russian military analyst Pavel Felgenhauer, this is utter nonsense. He wrote, quote, In the opinion of the Novaya Gazeta staff, of which I am a member, the Russian security services or rogue elements within these services are the prime suspects in the murders of Babarova and Markolov. The boldness of the attack by a single gunman in broad daylight in the center of Moscow required professional preliminary planning and surveillance that would necessitate the security services, which closely control that particular neighborhood, turning a blind eye. The use of a gun with a silencer does not fit with the usual pattern of murders by nationalist neo-Nazi youth groups in Russia, which use homemade explosives, knives, and group assaults to beat up and stab opponents to death. Our last anarchist is one of the most controversial, I think one of the most interesting in today's Russia, and that is the Russian feminist anarchist protest punk rock and performance art group based in Moscow, Pussy Riot. 
They came into world recognition when in 2012, they staged a performance inside Moscow's Cathedral of Christ the Savior on February 21st. Russian Orthodox leaders were aghast at this perceived sacrilegious act. On March 3, 2012, two of the group's members, Nadezhda Tolokonekova and Maria Aliokina, were arrested and charged with, that Russian crime again, hooliganism. A third member, Ekaterina Samsevich, was arrested on March 16th. On August 17th, the three members were convicted of, I love this crime, hooliganism motivated by religious hatred. Now imagine in a country that used to be the Soviet Union, where religion was considered bad, now you can have religious hooliganism and hatred of religion. I mean, the sentence handed down shocked the world as the three were sentenced to prison for two years. Semochevich's sentence was lowered to probation, but the other two had no such luck. After 21 months, Tolokonikova and Alokina were released on December 23, 2013, after the state Duma and approved an amnesty. Their protests against the Putin administration are pretty bold, considering what's happened to some of his opponents in the past. As has been seen, the Russian government will use proxies in order to threaten groups like Pussy Riot. Alokhina and Tolokonikova were said to no longer be members of the group, but both were amongst the group that performed as Pussy Riot during the Winter Olympics in Sochi, where group members were attacked with whips, pepper spray, and Cossacks, who were employed as security guards. On March 6, 2014, Tolokonikova and Alokina were assaulted and sprayed with green dye by local youths in Nizhny Novgorod. And just something that happened this week, and I don't have the name of the member of Pussy Riot, but one of them had to uh, uh, disguise herself as a food server in order to cross the border from Russia into Lithuania to get away from uh, Russia because they are cracking down pretty hard on anybody who's against the government after the Ukrainian uh, crisis and invasion. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we go in a completely different direction yet again. Our topic will be the men around Tsar Peter the Great. So, until we meet again, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.